today on Growth Mindset University. Graduate college and they see so many corporations. You do live a cozy life, but it's not your potential. And they think, wow, this must be the universe of the best opportunities out there. They're discrediting themselves. You're listening to Growth Mindset University, educating tomorrow's leaders with lessons from today's entrepreneurial elite. It's a progressive new age of business we find ourselves in, and we'll help you find the success you seek by listening to today's industry professionals and thought leaders teach us the lessons we should have learned in school but didn't. Now, please welcome your host, Jordan Paris. Today's guest on Growth Mindset University is Kevin Zhang. Kevin is a serial e-commerce entrepreneur and the CEO of Creator e-commerce, a global e-commerce organization with over 60 team members and facilities in three countries. At the age of 23, that's my age, Kevin achieved acclaim in the digital strategy and e-commerce community for generating $20 million in sales in his first year as an entrepreneur. Kevin was proclaimed the e-commerce rookie of the year by Affiliate World and is the youngest member of the Forbes Business Council. Aside from managing his business, Kevin is an advocate for e-commerce education and has provided mentorship to thousands of students around the world. Kevin is determined to empower and inspire future generations of e-commerce entrepreneurs, and he really inspired me today in our conversation on the podcast. You can visit Kevin at KevinZang.com, at KevinZangOfficial on Instagram. He's on LinkedIn as well. And you can share my conversation with Kevin Zhang and how he scaled to $20 million in his first year in business with the link jordanparis.com slash EP204. That's jordanparis.com slash EP204 to share the link to this episode so that your friends and family and community can hear this conversation. Now, without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with the one and only Kevin Zhang. All right, my man, Kevin Zhang. I got Kevin with me. You can find Kevin at kevinzhang.com and at official on Instagram. He's also on uh, the other platforms as well, like LinkedIn. You can be resourceful and find him there. I recommend you do. And Kevin, man... You make me nervous. Let me tell you why. Like I, the last interview I did was was Seth Godin, and I think I'm even more nervous for this one. <laughs> yeah, why are you nervous? Z, you're, we're the same, pretty much the same age. I'm 22, uh, turning 23 in like two months, and you are 24. Is that correct? Yep. yep. And uh, <laughs> the the difference. In, in revenue is just staggering. Like, I, I, I always think that I do well. Like, I, I do pretty well. But you, in your first year of e-commerce, and, and one could probably argue, I've been in this game longer than you have. And you just, like, in one year went from zero to 20 million. So I'm here to, like, really learn from you today, go into learning mode, learn the systems and the processes behind what goes into all this. Yeah, well, hey, super, super flattering, and I really appreciate it. But I, I think, you know, that's kind of a, a type of thinking um, that we often get caught up in that isn't always accurate. In fact, one of the biggest things I've learned because, and the reason why we think that way, why we like to compare ourselves with people that are our age or in a similar situation, is because ever since you're in kindergarten, going through college, you're institutionalized to think life is linear. Right, you go from first grade to second grade to third grade, you work hard in high school, then you go to a good college, you work hard in college, right, you get a good job. But what I've noticed ever since I've been an entrepreneur is life is not linear at all. So yes, did I have a crazy first year? 100%, am I doing very well for a 24 year old? 100%, but there's no guarantee that just because I did $20 million in revenue when I was 23 that when I'm 30, I'll be a billionaire because that's not a guarantee at all. In fact, there are people right now that are drug addicts, that are homeless, that are working minimum wage jobs, that we know history will tell us by the time they're in their 30s will be multimillionaires or billionaires, right? Jack Ma didn't make any money until he was 35, but now he's the richest man in Asia. So, you know, definitely, I think a lot of value exchange that we can have, but I just wanted to, you know, make sure you don't feel bad about yourself when you see me or anyone, because I also see 16 year olds 
that live on my street that Dude. play Fortnite and they're making millions. And you know what I was doing at 16, you know, nothing productive, right? I was, I was playing RuneScape or, or whatever 16 year olds were, were doing. Sure. And so it's, um, it's, it's important that we keep track of that. And also that keeps us hungry, right? Because I don't mm-hmm. think I'm in a better place than you just because maybe my business had some better metrics. Because the moment I sleep, the moment I get lazy, or the moment I make a massive mistake, uh, you're going to be ahead of me, right? And it's not even a competition. It's everyone's no, it's on their own timeline. But um, yeah, it does keep you hungry, though. And I feel the same way. I feel great talking to you. I, you know, I like seeing young faces because it keeps me on edge also. Yeah, I, I want to highlight another example of, uh, you know, you mentioned Jack Ma, you know, who really didn't do much early on. Uh, Mike Lindell, the My Pillow guy, he was like a homeless meth addict and and uh, now you see his commercials all day long, or at least uh, I do whenever Fox News is on. It's like my pillow after my pillow after my pillow commercial. And he makes millions doing that. Uh, and, he, and, he, and he seems to be a really great guy now. He's got it going on. And to the point of, you know, school being linear. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely in. I, I totally see what you're saying there, too. I absolutely agree that, you know, you can really in today's world, skip the line, so to say, you don't have to like, we're we're taught that, you know, we have to pay our dues for like decades and, and climb the corporate ladder, but that's really not the case. And one of the things that I just find so freeing, Kevin, and I think that, I mean, obviously you've unlocked this yourself too, the, the ability to just go from zero dollars or forty thousand dollars to a hundred thousand dollars to a million dollars in a a year or a few months it's just un unbelievable like i don't it's so amazing to think that i to know that i don't have to uh climb the corporate ladder and wait 20 years to reach a million dollars per year like i can do that really by the end of 2020 and and i love that and and you've clearly uh taken taking great hold of that. And, and to that, to that, Kevin, you know, you've said, uh, that you, you felt lied to by college. Explain, could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So I think that there's, there's, this is one of the big kind of what you call cognitive biases that I think human beings go through, especially in our society. And there's something called the illusion of, possibilities, right? And it's basically when you have a lot of options before you, you start tricking yourself to illogically think that's all of the options, right? Just like if you would sit down at a restaurant and let's say you're eating barbecue and there's 12 different barbecue sauces on the table, you're going to think, wow, this must be all of the flavors possible in barbecue sauce, even though there's a flavor that this restaurant didn't provide. But because they provided so many, you're like, okay, that's all the flavors, right? And that's how life has, I think, been distilled to us in a lot of ways. In high school, you know there's thousands of colleges out there, right? And if you're looking at a particular school, they have sister and brother schools that are on the same ranking or level, and you think there's choice, and as a result, if there's so much choice, it must be everything under the universe. In college, our brightest minds, the ones that go to the best schools, ones that are smarter than me a thousand times and even hardworking than me, They graduate college and they see so many corporations, so many sweet gigs that are six figures out of college. You do live a cozy life, right? But it's not your potential. And they think, wow, this must be the universe of the best opportunities out there. And they're discrediting themselves, right? Because what they don't even do is, for example, go on Google search and look for some of the opportunities that your listeners have taken advantage of, or maybe some of the guests that have spoken to you, right? And I think that's the big problem. And the big shame is, is actually some of the most talented, smart youth in our society are the ones that are getting robbed because we don't have any opportunities. And I've actually noticed this. This is why there's so many dropouts from high school. So many people that kind of were not very good students that go on to do great things is because when you have no other options, your only choice is to do your own own research. Your only choice is to actually see reality for what it is. And with the birth of the internet, like you mentioned, you don't have to wait in line anymore, right? There's a lot of high growth fields out there that don't even require a degree or a stamp of approval. You can go out there and you can start making money. And it doesn't matter what age you are even sure. these days, right? And what switched for you? What what made things start clicking? Because I I mean, I, I from what I understand, you did you have a job coming out of college? You you did, right? I did. I had so a what, great what job. What changed? 
Yeah, so I had a great job locked down um, going into my senior year. So I kind of had a year to what most students would have done in my position, kind of just screw around, right? You, you, you party a lot, you take like really easy classes. And, and I scheduled my, my year to be like that, like take very limited classes and really have a lot of fun. But I'm just someone that, I don't know, I, I wasn't, when I don't feel happy or fulfilled, I'm like a, I'm like a meth addict. Like I just, I, I need to solve why I'm not feeling happy or fulfilled. Like, 100%, I, you could, me like too. I tweak, you know, like I'm, <laughs> I'm like itching for like, there, I need something to solve. And when you have your job taken care of for you, it's almost like, what am I going to do with my time? Because I, I, I'm someone that goes on vacation for two weeks. At the end of two weeks, I'm like, I need to get out and start working right. again or else I'm going to lose my mind. Right? right. So I was in that stage. And to be honest, it was a great gig, but I wasn't feeling excited. Because in college, you go on campus as a freshman. In four years, by the time you're a senior, you're already like top of the totem pole, right? You're, you're the leader of like your organizations. If you're in a frat, like you have leadership there. People know who you are. You're kind of running the show in your were, little were area. Were you in a frat? So I was in a business fraternity, right? Oh, wow. Um, so yeah, and, and there was a very social group of people, really great. I met my business partner there, but you, you like rise up to the top in four years. But then it really dawned on me and I was like, oh my gosh, in corporate America, it's not four years like it was in high school and college. It's 40. It's like 40. And that's if you're doing a great job. Yeah. It's, it's 40 or just never. Right. And that really scared me. No and it control. Made me feel, no control. Right. And it made me feel just empty, even though I was going to get paid six figures out of college at age 22. And when I feel empty, I just, I frantically look for things. And that's how I stumbled upon e-commerce. I researched so many opportunities just using Google, which is something everyone has access to. And I wanted to find the industry that whatever I decided to do that year, right? This is 2018. I wanted to make sure that it was something that was fastly growing, right? And I found at that point in time, the share of all retail that was e-commerce in 2018 and it'll blow your mind was only 8%. And I told myself, I was like, oh my gosh. I know I'm not crazy, but I can predict there's a 50-50 world one day where 50% of people buy online, 50% of people buy in person. And by the way, coronavirus has only accelerated oh, yeah. that growth, right? And I was like, okay, so if I know that e-commerce is going to go to 50-50, whatever business I build, when it's at 8% of retail, it's going to multiply by six times, seven times without me having to do anything more just because more people are buying online. And that's the space you wanna mm. compete in. That's Looking, how you accelerate mm. your results, right? If I wanna go be a lawyer, the industry's growing at 8% a year. So how can I expect my trajectory to be faster than the average lawyer, you know, if the industry's not growing? In e-commerce, I know even if I'm average, I'm still gonna grow by 5X, by 6X, because more people are just buying online. You're not doing yeah. anything more special. It's, um, it's trending up, and you can and you can see that. I, I I like I like thinking like that, Kevin. I don't I don't like thinking like oh you know what's hot now, like what was hot yesterday, but like what's going to be super hot you know for the next ten years and beyond. Like exactly. looking like what's next, what's next. I I think it's a great frame of mind to to operate from, especially in business. I mean, you, you see Gary Vaynerchuk like that all yep. the time. Like he's always he's the fucking trend guy, man. Like always yep. looking at the trend. Always knows what's next. And he's like, right, all the time too. Exactly. And, and I think it's about looking at people that you actually admire, right? And I would be very honest. And there's a lot of rich people to look up to in the world, right? But I looked up to the people that were able to get results in record time. The ones that didn't have to sacrifice their lifestyles and, and quality of life for their business. Obviously, you have to grit, you have to grind. But it's very different trying to be a millionaire working as a corporate lawyer versus trying to be an entrepreneur. Because there's one where you can get to and it's guaranteed 80 hour work weeks because you're, you're, you're getting paid per hour, right? So for me, I really admired someone like Mark Cuban who built a company broadcast.com during the dot com boom, which is what e-commerce is kind of like right now. It's like a, it's a inflated kind of surge in growth. And you know, he sold it to Yahoo for $5.7 billion. And two years later, broadcast.com wasn't even working anymore. Oh my right? God. <laughs> and I was like, I want one of those industries, right? I want to be like real estate in 2008. You buy a bunch of real estate during the financial crisis, massive return afterwards, right? Or you want to be like Bitcoin in 2011. So I was looking for that big disruption that I also knew meant a big opportunity. 
And I knew e-commerce. The moment I saw these retail businesses closing down, and this is even before COVID-19, this is in 2018, like Toys R Us closing down, I was like, these are businesses that have been profitable and successful for decades, if not centuries. There's something going on right now. And I saw Allbirds, you know, you thought my story was cool. Allbirds went from zero to two billion in two years, right? And that's not normal times. And that's the type of game I want to play, yeah. right? Yeah, I just went to broadcast.com and it uh, it just redirects to Yahoo. It's pretty funny. They, they paid a lot of money for something that doesn't do anything, right? <laughs> I imagine they're suffering from that acquisition even to this day. It's a lot of money. But let's talk about what you're even... So so are you drop shipping products? Is, is that correct? And, and what are you selling? What is it? Yeah, so I started off drop shipping, right? And that that's $20 million in sales was all from the drop shipping business model. And, it's, and the, it's so, so $20 million in sales, 20, 20 in revenue, $20 million in revenue, yeah, okay. top line. And it was all in the drop shipping business model because when I started my journey, I was broke, right? And, and if you know about drop shipping, it's a very low barrier, uh, like low cost way of getting into e-commerce. So you can start learning. It's like training wheels, but you can make a bunch of money doing it, right? So I started off drop shipping and then I started building my infrastructure, which is what I was able to do that differentiated my mindset, even from a lot of other drop shippers. Everyone at this point was focused on two different types of businesses, single product stores, right? Where you're selling some sort of like gimmicky viral product or general stores where you put a bunch of random crap on a website and you're trying to farm out like your viral products. And these are your fidget spinners, your moon lamps, your hoverboards. You've seen these ads before. And I thought to myself, okay, that's great, but I see a ticking time bomb. Like there is no way those business models will last the test of time because it's just, it's, it's, it's ridiculous, right? How can you just compete on these viral gimmicks, treating customers like crap, not building any infrastructure? And, and it's like a hack of making money, but that's never what you want to do, right? You want to build something that is solid, right? So while everyone was doing those business models, I thought to myself, Instead of making those types of stores, I'm going to make niche stores. So I'm just going to look at the biggest brands in the world, like the North Face, Polo Ralph Lauren, and I'm going to build niche stores, not one where a bunch of random products, all the products are on theme. Like the North Face, it's an outerwear store. They're not selling just like one viral hat or one viral jacket. It's like hats, jackets, gloves, and you design it, make it look really good. And the only difference is your products are fulfilled by AliExpress right? So I was doing this business model and it took me like months to get this sorted out and $6,000 lost because I wasn't following a course or anything because no one else was doing what I was doing. And it finally started clicking. But basically my approach to e-commerce is very different. You bootstrap your way to start building a brand. Once you start making money, you're reinvesting that money into your business to now get tags on your products, get faster shipping, get, you know, packaging on your products. And then bam, you go from selling AliExpress products in a niche that you're collecting a lot of data on and now you know works to now being able to make that investment in order to turn this drop shipping business into something a lot longer lasting because you're actually providing value to customers. So I started off doing drop shipping and I got it to kind of a steady state automated situation by hiring a lot of remote based employees. So now it's like clockwork, right? And now my time and focus is on non-drop shipping e-commerce brand. So I'm wearing one right now. This is hemp X and uh -huh. it's the world's uh, first streetwear brand made out of weed. So this is made out of hemp, uh, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I have flip flops made out of hemp. Yeah. Yeah. So it's hempx.la. So that's one of our brands that, you know, is doing well and it's launched recently. And then also we've got Arrowhead Tactical Apparel, which is selling concealed carry tactical joggers. Uh, another nice. great niche that I found out about through drop shipping. So it's like, you get all this data selling AliExpress products that like, hey, these tactical people really like this product and bam, you can now manufacture your own because you have your money now that you made from drop shipping, right? So my whole goal is like drop shipping is this passive cash machine that's, I'm trying to make it last as long as possible and I'm funneling that income into building brands from scratch that are non AliExpress so it has a lot more enterprise value. It's something I can actually sell in a few years, which is something you can never do with drop shipping, right? So that's mm -hmm. kind of my whole approach to, to business is I want to build a business that can get passive, turn into an ATM, and then let me direct that cash flow and build something that needs a lot more investment, but has a lot higher of a ceiling, right? Um, 
So that's that's kind of my business philosophy. So I wouldn't even know where to start. Um, I mean, are you what kind of skills are 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 needed? I, I assume you. I mean, with drop shipping, did you start out selling on like Amazon? And you had to learn how to. Uh, you're shaking. So I would no, Shopify, right? So okay. oh, Shopify. Yes, I did see that. I, I don't like Amazon because uh, Amazon is notorious for stealing your products the moment they're they're hot. Because Amazon actually competes against you, and that's crazy. It's like you're playing in the NBA, but the referee is like suiting up in the other team's colors. Like you're screwed. <laughs> Amazon can true, kick you true. off their platform and wow. and make a, a knockoff version of your product, and you can't do anything. Because it's not like you're selling, it's not, it's not a free country in Amazon land. You know, no. Amazon is a private business that's owned by a private individual. And I can promise you, Jeff Bezos is better at competing than you are because he doesn't have to make any money for years, right? So I never liked Amazon. Yeah. I do Shopify. So we import our products from AliExpress and then we use stock photos, which is like the biggest hack in the space of e-commerce and Photoshop. And that combination, we're able to build beautiful websites, beautiful ads, and stock photos are just like the photos from very professional photo shoots that don't get picked up, don't get you know picked up by the brands, but they're super high quality and they're pennies on the dollar. And we're able to build a website that looks absolutely gorgeous. Sure. And we're competing against people that are doing single product stores and like these free sh- free plus shipping like concepts. And it's like, which one would you trust if you're a consumer, you know? And, and that's how we were able to generate such great results, right? Um, it's just our stores don't look like the other ones. You go onto our business, you don't know that it's dropshipping. And there's nothing wrong with dropshipping, so I don't want to characterize it as something bad. But it's like, to the consumer, they view this as a very legitimate brand. And it also treats you like a very legitimate brand. And over time, as you're building more cash flow you're building more of that infrastructure. So eventually your clothing does come with tags with your logo. Your clothing mm-hmm. does have your logo on it. It does come in custom packaging. And then bam. Oh, part of reinvesting in the business, yeah. Exactly. And yeah. then now you're standing on something solid mm-hmm. versus what's going on mostly in the dropshipping spaces. You kind of scale out a viral product, it dies, and you move on to the next one. But that's just, that's not passive, right? That's not a legitimate way of doing business. That's kind of like a, it's kind of a scheme to make money and that's great and all, but those things will always evaporate because you'll get beat out by someone that actually is executing the right way. So skills are, are, are Shopify, uh, Photoshop, eye for design. Yeah. So, uh, I would say you don't even need an eye for design because you can look at big brands and just mimic the styles they're using. But I would say Photoshop is really essential. Um, Facebook ad strategy is obviously like a very key part to it. And I think the third one is just a lot of effort and time because what I love about e-commerce is there's no luck factor like there is in other forms of entrepreneurship. Everyone has access to the same products. It's on AliExpress. Everyone has access to the same platform. It's Shopify. Everyone has access to the same advertising channel. It's Facebook. Everyone has access to stock photos yeah. and Photoshop. The only difference between someone that's winning and someone that's losing is that they had better education from whatever program they're using or they just got better advice or they're more proactive or they're harder working. That's it. So that was really motivational for me because I didn't think I was worse than anyone else or like dramatically stupider. So I was like, okay, if I put enough blood, sweat and tears and time, I'm going to crack this thing. Right. And it took a long time and we eventually did end up cracking it. Right. Um, but that's what I love about e-commerce. There's sure. no luck factor. So, so listeners of Growth Mindset University know that I like to ask stupid questions because, well, I like to understand things and I don't really care that it sounds stupid. I can't figure out, Kevin, the connection between AliExpress and Shopify. Like, if someone buys on Shopify, like, how does, how are, how does somebody, how does AliExpress know that something has been bought from Kevin Zhang's store and ship it here? It, it, it seems like, like I've never done, I haven't done Shopify and, and stuff like that. Like when, when I say, you know, I, I consider myself a little bit in e-commerce because like, look, my business is online. I produce podcasts. Yep. I sell exclusively online. So, I mean, I, it depends on, depends on how you, it is how you categorize it. But, yep. it but back e-commerce. to my question, the connection there, can you explain that? Yeah. So there's, there's, uh, it used to be a lot harder, but there, it just, they made it easy because there's little apps that do that for you. So there's an app called Oberlo that Shopify actually I bought that. a few years back. And what that does is exactly that problem you just described, which is it detects what a customer has bought, 
and then it allows you to fulfill it from AliExpress. Um, so that's literally why it exists and it makes the whole process just that much more easy and it uploads the tracking automatically, all of that good stuff. And it, it's made the tools of e-commerce has gotten so good. Um, it's ridiculous. You know, like every year it get better and better and better and better. And as a result, the barrier to entry is lower and lower and lower and lower because years ago, you would have to figure out your own system. Like I get this order, my VA has to go on AliExpress and then order it to them. And it's just this big hassle. People were still doing it because it was making so much money, right? But it used to be a lot more difficult. And now the barriers are just dropping down because Shopify is incentivized to make the e-commerce experience as easy as possible in order to boost their stock value, right? Yeah. That's their whole value. Oh, dude, crop. and 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 they're and yeah. Shopify has just has just skyrocketed too the stock. I owned it at like ninety dollars, and I you know I had some shares, and uh, I was like, oh, it went up to uh, hundred twenty five. Like that's a and it was pretty quick, and I was like, "That's good, you know." Yeah, Thirty-three percent return—that's crazy. Yeah, and usually I, I hold on to things for a very long time. I don't know why I didn't with Shopify. I guess I didn't. I don't know, but um, you know, now seeing it, you know, cross eight hundred in in recent months, and uh, wow, you know, I, I wish I would have held on to it. But with so so, Kevin, how much of how much of the the twenty million in revenue is? profit with a drop shipping business like yours? Yeah. So I, I can basically say it this way because accounting gets a lot more complicated in terms of like profit, like what's profit versus yeah, take home. So we try to get um, anywhere between 15 to 25% margins uh, on our top line. So, you know, at that's $20 million in sales was when I was 23. Not a really bad year at all. Um, definitely changed my life completely on that $20 million number. Um, but yeah, that's the type of profit margin we try to get. And obviously in the beginning, your profit margin is a little bit lower. Uh, once you're able to sustainably run your business for a longer period of time, you get more negotiating power with your supplier, right? You, you curb down refunds, uh, you curb down some of the other expenses. Your pixel on Facebook is a lot more learned. You have more data. You're going after the highest value audience for your particular niche. And the margins get better and better and better. But including all costs, we try to be around uh, fifteen to twenty-five percent, depending yeah. on the niche. And what are the th like top three revenue drivers? I mean, you just mentioned your oh, pixel there, and I imagine, revenue. yeah, I imagine, yeah, okay. So Facebook ads, uh, maybe I, I imagine you do some relentless retargeting. Yeah, so we get all of our traffic from one channel, and that's Facebook ads, right? Wow. And we don't use Google ads at all. We don't use any other advertising platform, and it's because Facebook. And it's purposeful. It's not because we were so lazy. We didn't want to explore the other ones. It's because Facebook lets you engage the consumer in what I call like a black box, meaning no other, no other brands matter. And just think about this for a second. Let's say you want to buy a hat as a customer. If you Google hat, right, you're going to see a bunch of different options, a bunch of different price points. And by definition, if I'm trying to compete selling hats there, that's like the most tough environment to compete in because you're, you're seeing all these brands. If anyone's pricing the same product because I'm drop shipping lower than me, you're going to go with them. It's brutal. Same thing with Amazon. You type in hat on Amazon by definition, it gives you thousands of hats. And now the customer's choosing between you and thousands. This is why Facebook is so powerful. Facebook targets the customer. It's not based on search, right? So it's a customer that doesn't even know they want a hat. They're just going on Facebook and Instagram to browse social media and they're seeing a car ad and then they're seeing a ad for their dog. Then they're seeing an ad about buying some course and then they're seeing an ad for me about hats and Facebook's algorithm based on their demographics, based on what they're searching. You know, Facebook steals all your information. They're able to predict this guy wants your hat and now you're the only one pitching a hat to them. They go onto your I website. See. They get clothes on your website. This whole experience they're not even looking at any other option. It's an impulsive buy. And all of our traffic, 100% of it for dropshipping came from Facebook for that reason. Sure. So what do your ads say, Kevin? Buy this hat, 33% off. I mean, I imagine that's not too enticing. What do these ads say? Well, that, you're, that you'll, that you'll actually be surprised. So our ads are usually some sort of offer, whether it's a bundle or a sale or a discount code. And then it's just very visually appealing, right? 
And uh, we invest a lot of time and energy in, in making a great creative. The most important thing about a creative is to stop scroll. That's the first one. You imagine sure. you're scrolling through your feed. You need something that's like, whoa, to make you stop for a second. So that's the most important part. Then the second part is the offer. So what type of deal are you giving them? In dropshipping, it's all about impulse buyers. You're trying to get people that take the least amount of time to make a decision to purchase. You're not tricking them. It's not deceiving, right? That's There's a fine line. You're never lying to them, right? You're never telling them something that isn't true, but you're leveraging discount codes, bundles, sales in order to get that purchase. And they come onto your website from your ad and your website has to be professional, has to be converting, and your product pages have to look nice, right? It can't look sketchy at all like some of these dropshipping stores tend to look like. And that's how you get the sale, right? Why do you think people buy? What, what do you think, what, what is the deciding factor? Like, what do you think is like the number one thing? Can you think of anything? Yeah, it's, it was a, it's a combination of things, right? The first thing is we can just walk through the customer journey to see all the variables and they all work like in symphony, right? They're all like music instruments and an orchestra. The first thing is great targeting. Someone's ability to go on Facebook advertising, right? And target the right customers, look at that data and move the targeting in a better and better and better direction as you get more data. That's the first piece. You show it, you, you, you get the right cost, you get the right viewer, you gotta show them a good ad. So then next one is the advertisement. In the advertisement, the most important thing is the creative, which is the image or the video or the carousel. It has to be engaging, it has to draw them in. Then it's the copy, right? It's Question, talking about- Question, yeah. before copy, how often, what's the split between like you doing image, carousel, and video? Like is it evenly it totally, split? Totally dependent okay. on niche. So it depends on what you're trying to sell, right? Um, obviously, if you're trying to sell like, let's say a course, that's something that people sell a lot of. You need a video, right? You need something that's yeah, more like yeah. personable. Yeah. If you're trying to sell like a, a gadget, you need a video because you got to show what it does, right? But if you're trying to sell a HempX long sleeve t-shirt, you don't need a video because a shirt is a shirt. You don't need to like see it in action to know that it's a shirt, right? So it depends on your niche. Um, and then there's the copy. After that, there's your landing page. So they click from your ad, go onto your homepage website, you gotta make sure it's not sketchy. You gotta make sure it inspires trust, right? And then it gets them to click on the product page, right? Now they're actually browsing the products. The product pages have to have good copy, good images, right? A good offer in there. Convincing, that's like your sales associate on the, on the retail floor convinces them that they need this product. And then bam, after that, it's the checkout process. And that's where you're cross-selling, getting them to buy more products, right? After they're purchasing, getting them an upsell, to increase their cart value even more. And then after that, right, there's remarketing your purchasers, taking care of your customers so they can buy multiple times or they're incentivized to buy yeah. even more. This nice. whole process is what goes into a profitable e-commerce business. And too many times people focus on one or the other, and you would rather be 50% effective on all of these things than 100% effective on your website, but then crap at everything else. And that's part of prioritization efficiency that's super important to start mastering if you're in the space. Sure, I, I think about Kevin in terms of you know the ad, uh, I think about entrepreneur.com, God bless them. They have this, this, you know, whenever they're offering one of their courses, they run some ads on their courses that they offer. And the copy is like, this $899 course just became 20, $899 course on writing just became $29. And every time I see it, I'm like, who cares? And it doesn't have much engagement. I can't imagine they're getting much, uh, many conversions. Uh, I mean, look, entrepreneur.com does a lot of things right, but I feel like, I don't know. What do you think about that? Well, so there is a chance that it's not working well, but also this is a big lesson I had to learn is you are not indicative of True. the market because uh -huh, uh -huh. there are 3.45 billion people on Facebook and Instagram, okay? Think about this. You might think, oh my gosh, how could anyone fall for this? Or like this <laughs> seems so sketchy, they're on sale all the time. But you and I can both agree, the world's a big place. And by definition, there is a percentage of people yep. that do fall for that or else entrepreneur.com is the biggest idiot in the world and they're wasting money on advertising. Mm -hmm. Something you can almost always bet on is unless it's like a high growth company that is just trying to acquire market share, most companies are trying 
to be profitable. So they're not going to be spending money on marketing unless it is profitable. So a lot of people say the same thing or like they'll call on to like the landing page for, for my education program and they'll be like, wow, you can make this way more clean, way more professional. It can look way better. I don't think it looks bad, but I know I could spend 10 racks on it and have it have crazy animations and look like super fluid, but you know what? It doesn't convert, mm. right? And all that matters is out of the 3.4 billion people, you find your sliver of the market and bam, that is millions and millions and millions of dollars of sales. So a lot of times if you see an ugly ad or if you see an ugly website, don't be quick to just dismiss them because what they could have done is they found the type of person that does engage with that type of marketing yeah. and they're the only ones doing that type of marketing or like they're the only ones that, that that's cutting through because this type of person only wants that type of marketing and bam, they're taking that entire market. Now, I'm not sure that's the case for entrepreneur.com. They could be losing a lot of money. No, but I see but what you're saying. There's a lot I, of e-commerce stores that yeah. D, we, we call it like de-professionalize their website. Like they take your website from a more professional level and make it less professional. Like those wheels, the spinning wheels on the websites. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, that has boosted our conversion rate tremendously. Really? And I would never, I'm saying right now, I would never personally buy from any business that makes me spin a wheel to win a discount code. I'd be like, <laughs> that's not for me. Right. Yeah, but right. On our e-commerce stores on that $20 million in sales, almost every single one came from a wheel spinner or some sort of newsletter pop-up that came off with that percentage off, but also we're going after impulse buyers, right? So it makes sense. So it really depends on what market you're going for. If you're selling Rolexes, can you have a spinner wheel? Of course not, right? That's not the <laughs> audience you're trying to sell to. That's hyper-educated, like they're doing a bunch of research. It's a massive investment. You're gonna spin a wheel to buy a Tesla, right? <laughs> but there's a lot of people that wanna spin a wheel to buy a hoodie, right? Or buy a jacket or buy a t-shirt. Um, and that's something that the data will never lie to you. That's what's beautiful about e-commerce. It's not an opinion. You test it. And it's yes or no, right? That makes a lot of sense. Now, re regarding the, the processes and structure, I'm, I'm a big fan, Kevin, of process-driven yep, businesses. 100%. Yes, yes. You, you got to, especially if you want to scale and uh, not uh, be chasing your tail and doing all sorts of, you know, doing every task in the business. Pretty much if you want to be like a real entrepreneur and not a solopreneur, uh, you got to have a process-driven business. Now, with proven and repeatable processes. Now, what is... What are the processes, Kevin, that uh, are involved in, in scaling a business to eight figures? Because look, I mean, I haven't done it yet. Yep. So I think the only difference between a six-figure and a seven-figure and eight-figure business is process and also infrastructure. Because by definition, if you're able to generate six figures on your business, you have the hard skills. You know what you're doing. Like you, That's the biggest hump is getting something that's not profitable or losing money or doesn't exist to, hey, is making profit. Now, the only difference that I think separates this layer from six figures to seven to eight and even nine and even 10, I would argue, is process and infrastructure. So yep. that I think that's also what I would say like my biggest value add is. And I'm not someone that likes to toot my own horn, but I would say like, am I the best Facebook ad strategist in the world? No chance. Am I the best person at Photoshop and creative design? No chance. Because I have people that work for me that are way better than me. But why was I able to generate $20 million in sales and parallel process all these different businesses? Like I have dropshipping businesses. I have an education business, right? I also have hemp, I have hemp X, I have Arrowhead Tactical. We're making another bit. Like we are always parallel processing. The reason why I'm able to do that is all because infrastructure. And the biggest, I guess, one tip I'll give is every month I pick one week of my month and what I do is on Google Calendar, I map out every single thing I'm doing every single hour of every single day for seven days, all right? And then after that week is over, I look at that calendar and I go, all right, each activity, I run it by this test. What was the value I was generating and was it the highest possible value I was able to generate with my hour? If the answer is yes, I'm gonna keep doing this as a part of my week. If the answer is no, I need to get someone else to start automating that particular thing yep. for me. Okay, great. And you start saving your own time. Once you start saving your own time, you're less involved in the day-to-day -day or the weeds of your business and you're very high level, 
right? You're still monitoring progress. You're making sure shit doesn't hit the fan, but you are, you're getting reports from people you trust that are actually on the field running it. You're able to spend your time now on other things, right? So my goal has always been to get each dropshipping site in the beginning to a steady state. So then I could buy, so I, then I could go ahead and start another site because that's going to be what increases the top line and the bottom line the most, right? Then it became, let's get this whole dropshipping operation on steady state and automated, right? So I can start going to do education or starting to build other types of brands. And that's the same story I do with every single thing I'm involved in. How can we get it passive? Bam. Once it's passive, by definition, I've saved so much of my freaking time, right? I can do something else that adds to this passive string. And I never do any business that isn't passive or doesn't have some sort of passive element to it, right? So agency work, it's a great business. I know a lot of very rich people that own agencies. I never wanted to be involved in one because I'm not gonna <laughs> deal with clients. You know, like yeah. I work I with certain that. clients okay. that are very lucrative. Like it's my exception, but I never went out and wanted to like run an advertising agency for other people because I can see how that's a drain on my time. It becomes like an hourly situation, right? Mm -hmm. And even if I were to get compensated a lot per hour, that's just signing up to put a ceiling on yourself, right? Um, so yes. that I think is the secret to scaling whatever you're doing in life is just making sure you're only doing things of the highest value, right? Which is something you have a luxury of doing once you've gotten at work. And in the beginning, you got to do the dirty work, right? In the beginning, you got to be the one answering, answering stuff. The problem is so many people make it past six figures or they even get to seven figures, but they're still, they're, that one business that took them to seven figures is still their full-time job and they can't grow at all. And they're asking me like, how do you grow? And it's like, well, what do you spend your time on every single day? And they're like, oh, I, I do these customer support. And then I'm making sure orders are fulfilled. And then I'm making the creatives. Then I'm setting the ads. I'm like, well, guess what? I don't do any of that. I have other people that do that. And I spend all of my time thinking how to grow. So if I'm spending eight hours a day thinking about growth and you're spending eight hours a day only executing, I would have to be the biggest idiot in the world to not grow faster than you because I'm spending more of my freaking time thinking about growing. So it's not like a surprise or a magical sauce or that I'm a genius. It's just like what I spend my time on is what I get better at, which is growing. What you spend your time on, which is Photoshopping and setting ads and running your customer support and doing your order fulfillment, you are about to get really good at those things. But guess what? There's a diminishing return from getting that much better at Photoshop because you could have already always hired someone. Not many people have the ability to think about growth. That's a founder, that's a CEO's job. No one else in your organization is gonna do that for you. And I think that's the big ticket from a lot of people to go from six figures to taking it to the next step. And me right now, you know, I wanna, I wanna build something that can get me to nine figures, right? That's, that's like the new benchmark I wanna, ch I wanna chase. And there's a lot of learning and a lot of pain points I'm going through now in order to get there. Like I'm starting to automate things now that are yeah. very uncomfortable for me to automate, yeah. you know? Dude, I could see you as like a public company one day. I mean, seriously, <laughs> I if, you're gener if you're generating, uh, you know, over a hundred million dollars in revenue, I mean, uh, you know, you're very potentially could be, now there's a lot of things that go into being a public company. And you it might not even be in your best interest to, yeah, you to do that. You but, be that. Sure. But so I, I understand, you know, you're taking account, uh, uh, uh an account of your time and if it's not the best possible use of your hour you're finding someone else to do that that begs a the question then um, because look i you know i have people working for me and you know they've just been it, i feel like it's just been luck that they've come into my life i don't have a proven and repeatable process in my business for acquiring new talent uh, and i'm actually in great need at the moment how, how do you uh, how do you find these people kevin yeah, so I would say that's like your big problem to solve. That's what you should be spending all of your time on, right? So for me, it's it's instead of me looking for individual pieces of talent, which is kind of how I was operating in the beginning, it's finding someone that has a track record of being able to find really good talent. So it's almost automating even that part of it. I see. And for, for me, what type of person is really good at that? It's those people in our lives, those entrepreneurs that have great contact lists. You know what I'm talking about? Like there are those people in this online space where they don't really have a hard skill, but they're very charismatic and likable. 
and they just know a lot of they just know a lot of people and they've been around the block doing this and that and this and that and they know a lot of people. So for me, that was my big way of finding talent was I acquired, I, I hate talking about acquiring because it makes people sound like objects, but for the purpose <laughs> of this, I, and I treat them very well. I hired this person and made him actually a co-founder, for example, in my education business that had a very strong track record with other education entrepreneurs. And the reason... Uh, some of the biggest personalities you've ever heard of in this space, right? So the reason I wanted him, I knew he wasn't going to do Facebook ads. He wasn't going to do anything hard skill that I couldn't have done. It's because I wanted his contact list. I knew that he was a charismatic, likable, hardworking person that knew enough people. So now when I wanted a sales team, bam, he could find me someone that could just come in and bring it for me, right? So I think finding that type of person really accelerates your chances of finding the next piece of talent sure. because those types of people, by definition, you text them, you're like, Hey, do you know anyone that is really good at building email marketing? They're like, yeah, from my days of doing this and this and this, there's this guy. And then from doing this, there was this guy. Like there are so many of those types of people out and about. It's about finding one of those types of people, the connectors, if you will. So that's one way. And the second way is it just takes a very long time. You know, it's, it's a problem that every organization wants to solve because people live and die by the talent they have around them. So in the, be, in the beginning and even like in my first one and a half years before I had those connectors, I just spent a lot of freaking time searching for them, right? And I always say you hire and you train very slowly and you fire fast, right? And that's how you get great talent is you invest in them you give them all the resources and attention they need to succeed. And if they don't just succeed, there's no second questions asked. They're out, right? And I had to go through a lot of different people in the very beginning until I found the right one. But once I found the right one, they save you so much time and headache that is worth it, right? So there's another part of this that is just not that pretty, which is you just have to get down and start looking for people. And I was crawling Facebook forums, like these Facebook mm. groups. Mm. I was going on Upwork and posting listings, right? Every single way I could to find talent, I did, right? And and the person that designed our entire collection on HempX, I found on Upwork, you know? And I wouldn't nice. have guessed I would have to find them on Upwork, no way, but you cast a massive net, and if it really means something to you, you're gonna take the time and the effort to filter them out and train them the right way, and they're gonna provide value for a very long time, right? Yeah, I heard you with my, my friend uh, Trevor, Dr. Trevor Blattner, uh, he's actually a client of mine. We produced that episode of yours and uh, on his podcast. And you know, you were—I didn't actually know. Uh, you mentioned in that episode that Upwork is like more of—I haven't used Upwork. It's more long-term contractors. And I thought Upwork so and good. Fiverr, you know, Fiverr just like one-off projects. Uh, I thought they were like the same thing, but I had—I no. actually had no no clue. So, so I'll, I will have to check out Upwork. I've I've almost like fifty of my remote-based team members and they're not just like all customer support or if there's some pretty advanced people in there have come from Upwork. Upwork is without Upwork, I would have never had the success I've had. Upwork is massive. I love Upwork. Yeah. I still use Upwork every single day, you know, nice. like still to find key people. Upwork is incredible because it's, you're finding contractors. You're not finding one-off projects. You can use it for one-off projects, but for Fiverr, it's kind of a gig economy right? Not Upwork. Upwork is actually people that just want to work remote, right? And there's a lot of really fucking smart people that just can't work at Google or Goldman Sachs, right? Or, or like these big corporate companies, but they're just as talented, just as smart, just as disciplined. They just want to travel all over the world. And guess what? They are out of luck unless they find someone on Upwork. So what I found is talent on Upwork is even kind of less competitive to acquire because it's people usually with very particular circumstances that make them want to be remote and they're really good. Like our, our, the, the, you know, our woman for customer support, you know, is, is this Filipino lady that was making like four bucks, uh, an hour when I started with her. Now she's making over six figures because she runs all my customer support, not only in my e-commerce, but also every single brand and my education business. She's become like my head of customer support for everything. It's amazing. And it's because she can hire people in the Philippines so fast. Sure. Right. She runs her own office. It's so cost effective. And these people, they work so hard and they're never going to screw me over because I have given them so much money compared to what 
there are other opportunities yeah, in a place like the Philippines. And, and I love it. And there are people that are non-American. You know, I'm all about hiring Americans. You know, I'm very patriotic. But there are some people that are non-American that are just dying for an opportunity. And they're not any less intelligent. They just I didn't agree. have the same opportunities as you and I, you know? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, ex- I've had uh, great experiences with those people as well. What about, Kevin, training? Like, what goes into the training and making sure people do things right? I mean, I'm big on that. Like... I, I get sometimes I get too involved, um, you know, just because of uh, my lack of trust in, in in people. So, like, you know, the antidote to that is like a really robust training system. Like, how are you training these people and making sure they do everything right? Yeah. So, I think the first thing is if if you know about the task, like first the first batch of VAs, I did everything first before I trained them. Right. So I was answering my own customer support emails longer than I had to just to understand like how many tickets you need to clear in an hour. What does good customer support look like? Um, you know, obviously you don't automate something unless you have a thorough understanding of it first and your ability to train them is like a good test for yourself. Can you train someone that has no experience in doing something that they're supposed to do? And the answer is no. Now's not the time right. to automate. You got to master a little now, bit more. But what, what are you doing? Like screen recordings, talking through it? Tell me, what, what's it all about? So I screen record. I usually mm. have like a training session with them. And, and also I'm finding people that do have some sort of prior experience. So it's yes. not like I'm going yes. like to the streets and pulling a random person and be like, hey, do customer support. It's like they've indicated they've done customer support before. Yeah, so I have a screen record. Um, and, and actually e-commerce training has been a lot easier now because I made my own education program. So those lessons are easy training for anyone because by definition, I was making those lessons to train someone with no experience. So that's made my training a lot easier. And I think what's even more important than training is monitoring. The first two weeks someone joins your organization, that first week, really, really making sure you have clear transparency into how long they're working and what they're able to do with each and every single hour is super, super crucial, right? So- I would say monitoring is even more important than training because a lot of people after the training, they're like, yeah, I got this, but some of them don't have it, right? They can't do it. So it's, it's the monitoring process that I think provides the most value. And that's usually where we end up firing someone sure. if they don't deliver in those two weeks, right? Sure. Kevin, this has been a lot of fun. We're, we're winding down. I got a couple of more questions for you, yeah, of course. if I may. What... Um, what would you say, how long would you say it would take, would it take for someone to build uh, an e-commerce business that like yours? Like how, how long is it? Can they ha- can they start profiting in a week or a month? Or so that, that question I get all the time sure. and I, I can't give a solid answer because it's so person to person. So I'll use my students as an example, right? I would say... I've had students that have done $37,000 in their first four and a half days, right? But is, am I going to go around and parade that as like, this is what's normal? No, of course it's not normal. But so then it, it comes down to some individual traits, right? Because clearly all my students have access to the same stuff, right? Now we have, we've just had our first student, uh, cross the million dollar mark in three months, right? Am I going to say that's like normal? Of course not. You know, what's normal is people not doing anything with their time, right? So I would say the advice is whatever you think like something is going to take X amount of time, you want to give yourself at least two times that amount of time in terms of a window because you people tend to overestimate their abilities and underestimate the obstacles they're going to they're gonna face. So if your goal is like, hey, in the first month of e-commerce, I want to do six figures, First, you want to find proof that that is possible. And I can tell you right now that is possible. But if that is your goal, you want to multiply that by two. So, hey, in the first two months, if I hit six figures, I'll be very happy. That helps you manage expectations and set up that buffer for when obstacles come up, which inevitably they definitely are, right? Um, But, you know, e-commerce is fast. There are people that like Allbirds was able to do two billion in two years. Can I say like that's normal? Of course not, right? I mean, I would love to do that. I haven't done that in two years, you know? So it's that's always like a very difficult question to answer sure. because it's totally dependent on the individual, how hard they're working, how proactive they are, how, how much you learn from your mistakes on top of just making them is a big, I would say the two big deciding factors is how good you are at learning from your mistakes so you never repeat it again. 
And then also how gritty and how resilient you are after your first few mistakes. Because what I will also say is usually the worst financial times for an entrepreneur, just from talking to my own mentors and people in my own network and my own experience is like the day or week before you finally start making it, right? And to get to that point, that lowest point in your life, and to still want to pursue that extra day, that extra two days, that extra week when you're so close because you're not going to feel like you're close. You don't know you're close until it hits, right? Sure. That is such an important skill or mindset, whatever you want to call it, to master. is just to take a lot of beatings and be okay with it because you're, you're dead confident that even if it takes another month, even if it takes another two months, it is going to happen. And just to be able to stick in it, right? Because my, my worst financial picture was the day before my business started making money. And that was, mm. that was the day I should have quit, you know, by all logic and reason at that moment in time. It's like, well, you're the biggest loser you've ever been in this moment because you've lost the most money to get to where you are learning all these things. You have no idea the next day is going to start working. And bam, you know, I remember we were so close to quitting. We built one more dropshipping store in August 1st. And then by August 12th, and keep in mind, we were, we were trying this since May, lost $6,000 in total. Then from August 1st to August 12th, by August 12th, we were doing $20,000 a day. And the Amazing. rest of our business was, was history, right? It was just like, once you get to that level, that was 2018. And, um, you know, everyone was telling me to quit the most on August 1st, right? I should have quit on August 1st, given like rational assessment of my losses. But that's the difference between people that end up winning and the people that quit and lose, right? You, you never lose until you quit, you know? It's just like you, you yeah, never yeah. lose money on a stock until you sell it at lesser price than you bought it for. Yeah, it's going to go down, right? But you didn't lose yet because you didn't exit the market. It could go back up, right? And it's the same sort of theory for entrepreneurship. Yeah, I'll go back to when I talked to Grant Cardone and he told me uh, in this sentence uh, with a lot of double negatives, he said, you can't not make it if you don't quit. Exactly. And that's what you're saying here. Kevin, going back to our... our the, how we open this conversation with uh, college and you know uh, teaching a linear path and staying in line and uh, really staying on the moving along in an orderly fashion on the conveyor belt, if you will, and not jumping off. What do you think is stopping people from jumping off the conveyor belt, taking the the leap of faith? And what would you say to those people? Yeah, I, w I would say uh, I'll answer your question in, in the same, I guess, response. I think people overvalue risk and undervalue reward because it's a it's a trick that our mind plays on us reward is always finite it's always like definite right it's like oh i want to make x amount risk is always infinite because you never know what's going to happen right you don't have that perce perception and it's the same thing for you're at a club or a bar and you want to talk to a really pretty girl or a guy whatever your preferences are right but let's say in your mind when you're walking up to her you're scared right? And, and your brain is telling you like all these crazy scenarios that's going to happen. She's never going to like slap you or like embarrass you in front of everyone. Chances are she says no, or she says yes, right? But your brain creates all these crazy scenarios so that you're, you're, you know, the best case scenario, she says yes, but the worst case scenario is like all these crazy things. And I think people do that in this way because that's what the brain kind of tricks us to do. And as a result, you're looking at this world like, okay, if I go out and be an entrepreneur, I might be a millionaire within a year, but my risk is, oh my gosh, I might be homeless. Everyone will think I'm a loser. My girlfriend will leave me if, if I'm not making money consistently anymore and my parents will hate me. But chances are none of those things are going to happen, right? It's probably not that bad because you might also be a billionaire in a year. Why aren't you also like overvaluing your reward? I think it's that type of exercise we do in our brain that we have to kind of be very conscious about catching that makes risk a lot less intimidating because let me tell you when you're young and you just graduated college everyone's like oh my gosh kevin how'd you take such a big risk what risk i would have just lost a year of my time which doesn't mean anything right. when you're 23 what, i don't have what's the difference between being family. 23 and broke and 24 and broke exactly what's the and, and i was already used to living broke in college so it wasn't different for me and i know i can make it up because life isn't linear losing a year of your time and learning a lot about yourself is fucking great 
You know, because I knew if, if I failed as an entrepreneur after one or two years and I didn't like it, I'm going to go back to corporate America and I would have been the best worker of all time because I know this is for me. Entrepreneurship isn't. This is my only ticket to everything I want because I can't be a business owner. At least you know that about yourself. Now you're going to go into work every single fucking day hustling because you know this is the best thing you can do. And I think that's something that more people ought to find out about themselves, especially when they're young. Now it's different when you have a wife, when you have kids, right? When you have a certain expectation of a lifestyle, which is why a steady paycheck is so addicting. Oh, right? it's so addicting. Yeah. It's, it's like customer. heroin. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, oh, I have a lease on that Mercedes and I have this nice apartment and I have these friends that are at my income level. I don't want to take a risk because you're giving up a lot more now when you're coming out of college or when you're young and you're broke anyways, it's just like, no risk. I mean, my, my, I went from living in a shitty dorm room to at least living in my parents' basement. And at least my parents started cooking for me. I don't have to pay for food. Right. So it was an improvement. Like there's nothing to complain about. <laughs> I think it's people that quit yeah. their jobs. That's the biggest barrier because you're already used to living in a certain way. Right. Kevin, man, this has been a lot of fun. KevinZang.com, at KevinZang official on Instagram. And I know you have uh, a course about how to do all of this with Shopify, AliExpress, Facebook ads, literally everything. Uh, KevinZang.com, people can find it there, correct? Yep, you just click on learn and uh, okay, there's great. like a three hour free training that you guys can attend and I give, I give, I give away basically my whole entire uh, business model. Excellent, KevinZang.com. Kevin, my uh, final question before the final question, I mean, look, uh, like, like I said, I'm 22, you're 24. I mean, what do you do for fun, rather. Yeah, so I, I love working out. That's something that nice. I really yep. like doing for me fun too. and also keeps me focused. Um, I spend a lot of time with my girlfriend. Like, that's always fun. Nice. I, I do, I've been recently doing a lot more reading, which is something I've been kind of bad about throughout my life, but there's just so much to learn. Um, and I'm like, especially during COVID, a lot of like, you know, going out and stuff, which I used to kind of do a little bit more, obviously got wiped out. So I'm trying to just, you know, find more enjoyment in the kind of like nature, like going on walks. I'm living like an old person now, but I've been forced to. No, I agree. Just, you know I what I mean? You. Like I'm watching you, yeah. like documentaries <laughs> is fun to me. Yeah. I've been having to get creative because there's no like, used to be like, I would go to a restaurant, you know, go outside, like, you know, where you go to like a club sometimes once a weekend or something like mm -hmm. that. And it's a lot of fun, mm -hmm. but now it's, I got to get more creative, but Hey, now is a, there's no excuse in terms of distractions for being productive. Right. So yeah, yeah. that's the one big benefit. Like there's nothing going on. So I might as well fucking work. <laughs> what? Yeah. Yeah. I, I know. That's what I've been doing. I've just been like making more work for myself, you know, just finding more work to do because uh, of everything going on. But uh, I've, I've been watching documentaries too, man. I was watching uh, uh, the, the 10 part Michael Jordan one oh, yeah, so uh, good. today. And I mean, what, what have you been watching? I watched like a lot of, um, I've been watching like this one thing called like the brain explained on Netflix. So that stuff is always interesting to me. I, I really like learning something. So I saw like Icarus the other day for the first time, the doping scandal, super interesting. The what's, that, what's that about? It's about like the Russians doping oh, to win the Olympics. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. yeah so I, I like watching things in areas that like I don't know much about. So like I was, I watched the Epstein documentary recently. Yes, I crazy watched that stuff. too. That's gnarly, crazy, crazy I, right? Geely and Maxwell, what, what a crazy, it's crazy bitch, man. <laughs> crazy. Yeah. So this whole thing is, is, is just nuts, right? And um, yeah, I mean, there's so many things to just learn. And I think when you watch a diverse array of things, um, it expands your mind, right? Because you're able to pull connections and kind of just brain mappings from other areas yeah. they don't normally yeah. engage yeah. in right and and, and the world is a fucking fascinating place you know it is. and i'm so e-commerce 99 percent of my life it's it's cool to like learn about what it takes to be a pro ballerina you know it's like shit that is that's an interesting world and for someone else that is their universe you know just like for lebron right now all he's thinking about is winning that championship and for me all i think about is e-commerce it's really cool to see what humans do and it's real inspirational so i love like that type of documentary <laughs> yeah, me too, brother. So uh, my final question is, if you could teach a course at a university, a course of your creation or otherwise, what would it be? Of course, you have an online course already. If it's that, that it can be, you know, if, if it's the course you already have, it can be that. But what would you want to teach at a university? 
I would probably, so if I had to, at a liberal arts college, I'll do one for a liberal arts college and okay. kind of a business school, right? Sure. At a liberal arts college, I would teach problem solving. So how do you logically okay. structure out your problem, break it down into core components and understand it better, how to make effective decisions. That's a course I would try to teach. Um, I think I have a lot more learning to do before I'd be comfortable teaching that, but that's something I, I'm very passionate about, like making good decisions in a logical way, right? And then the second, uh, at a business school or a technical environment, it'd definitely be e-commerce. I would make sure that everyone that joins my class that semester, they're not freaking graduating that course unless they built an e-commerce business that's profitable and yeah, definitely Dude. accomplishable within a semester. And then they would actually get something out of that piece of paper outside of uh, just a tap on the shoulder on graduation. Right, right. There would be there'd be an actual ROI, which is so important yep. considering so important. over forty million Americans own an average of thirty-eight thousand eight hundred eighty-seven dollars in student unforgivable, no, might I add, student loans. It's not really, uh, really tragic. Uh, but Kevin Zhang coming through with the ROI in his courses. Kevin Zhang, you're the man. Thank you very much. Hey Jordan, appreciate it. We've reached the end of this episode of Growth Mindset University. For more keys to success and methods to inspire your entrepreneurial spirit, head to jordanparis.com slash course and enroll in our free course to elevate your podcast to the next level. Be sure to pass the show along to someone you know who will benefit from the lessons learned in each episode and we'll catch you and them on the next episode of Growth Mindset University.